Hi there, and welcome to a post-winter meetings recap edition of the Brashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. Uh, so, the winter meetings, as I said, we're recapping them so you can assume that they're over. Uh, yes, they are. They ended on Wednesday. Today is Saturday. Uh, they ended on Wednesday with the Rule 5 draft, and we should be talking Thursday. about... Thursday. What day is today? Saturday. Okay. Got that part right. I was so close. I have so no close. idea what days it. Uh, I'm in the midst of finals. All the days sort of blend together. But yeah, so uh, I'm currently in a car driving from New York to Boston. So right, your car noises. That's it. Johnny's making those car noises with his mouth like Bobby McFerrin. Uh huh. I'm, I'm very good. He is. He's very talented. Uh-huh. I was also in Police Academy. No, Just that would eight. make you Michael Winslow. Uh, he's a Bobby McFerrin. Never mind. Yes. Uh, Same anyway, uh, amazing voice actors of the 20th century aside, uh, the the big story, of course, apart from the fact that the Nats lost Sterling Sharp in the Rule 5 draft, very How sad. Yeah. Uh, is Anthony Rendon signing with the Angels for seven years and $245 million. At least that's the, the exact big story. same contract that Strasburg signed. That is true. Uh, yes. And that, that brings me to sort of my first question, which is if you had to make a choice between Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon, and the Nats clearly felt that they did, and we'll discuss why that's wrong and annoying later on, but if you had to make a decision between Rendon and Strasburg at the same guaranteed money, although deferrals make Strasburg's contract worth a little less. Who do you choose? Basically the same. Pretty much the same. Yeah. I, I, choose, I choose Strasburg. I think we made the right choice if we had to choose. I think Rendon, it depends on what we do with the rest of the offseason. There are more options out there to almost recreate Rendon's value, you can't get the same value you can with Rendon. Although Chris Bryant is very good. He hasn't been as good the past two years, but he was an MVP in 2016. Um, He's been hurt the last two years. It's not that he's not as good. Yeah, it's because he's been hurt. Um, So if you somehow can swing a trade for Chris Bryant, then you can recreate his value. Uh, And then Josh Donaldson's the other option. And we'll talk more about those later. Um, but with Strasburg, outside of Garrett Cole, there was nobody else in the market who was even close to Strasburg. I know Ryu had a great year this year, but Ryu isn't Steven Strasburg. Um, I mean, they're not the same. Strasburg's more dominant. I mean, Ryu, Ryu had a great year getting soft contact. But I don't know. He's had, This is his first really healthy season in his career. Uh, you could say no. something similar to Strasburg. First. First since 2014. Yeah. Which is, again, also true of Steven Strasburg. Strasburg. Yeah. But um, I just think... level of health in those quote-unquote unhealthy seasons. Strasburg's put together some pretty good seasons when he hasn't been healthy for all of them. Yeah, it's a little different. So you're not going to be able to get the same value or type of player... To replace Strasburg, one, 
And also, I think the Strasburg means a lot more to this franchise than Rendon has. I mean, they both were drafted first-round picks for the Nats. Strasburg won one in 2009. Rendon won six in 2011. Drafted roughly around the same time. Um, but, I mean, Strasburg was the piece that turned this franchise around, really. He represents a lot more to, to the Washington Nationals than Rendon does, um, one. And two, Strasburg has already shown a commitment to this franchise um, by re-signing uh, in 2016 instead of going to testing for agency. And I, you know, not, I don't know if I can really say this, but you never really, I, I, I can't really say this, but I kind of, you feel like you didn't really have, Rendon didn't have as much of a connection to the area. I know he did a lot of great work with the um, Youth Academy, um, and that's incredible, and that's invaluable too. But I don't know, I feel like Strasburg really feels more part of this community and part of D.C. than Rendon did. Well, sure, but I don't really care about that. I mean, it's it's not say about not a it's not a major sticking point for me. Uh, Rendon is not a player. I know that there are going to be a lot of people that that feel differently about this, but Rendon was not the type of player that I mean. I don't know. You get emotionally attached to anyone who plays for your team for seven years and puts up the kind of numbers that Rendon did. But I'm not. I would be much more upset. If Strasburg left, Strasburg is sort of a face of franchise type of guy, a guy you put on the Mount Rushmore of, of your franchise, uh, a guy who's, you know, probably getting his number retired in D.C. Although, you know, if Rendon had resigned, he probably would have gotten his number retired here, too. But uh, Rendon, you know, is a great player. And the other argument is that he may be. Not not a better player than Strasburg. I think they're about equal talent-wise, and obviously the market agrees. Uh, maybe, scarcity aside. Uh, but uh, Rendon is probably a less variable player. I think he's a, a more sure bet to age well and uh, continue to put up the kind of production that he, he has over the past three years. For one thing, he's done it over the past three years. Strasburg, to be fair, has also put up two six-win seasons in the last three years. But in between those six-win seasons, he had a season that was marred by injury and shoulder and neck problems and uh, sort of you know, a decline of velocity, the kinds of things that make you nervous. But uh, even with the decline of velocity, he's figured out how to, to pitch with less velocity. And he's been, I'd argue, better. He's, I mean, not only how to pitch, but how to, how to pitch every day or exactly. every fifth day. And I, I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Steven Strasburg's evolution from a thrower to a pitcher. And I think you've really seen that in the past two years with his loss of velocity has forced him to really learn how to pitch and be very you know, good with his pitch selection and with his control. His control is incredible. I mean, there's that one pitch sequence earlier in the year against the Marlins where he threw fastball, change up, curveball, all three hitting the same location on the outside corner. That was I pretty mean, amazing. It's pretty amazing. How, he's, just how much he's a very good pitcher. He's one of the top ten pitchers in baseball and has been over the course of his career. I don't think yeah. anyone's knocking him. I think... The concern is that you're now paying a, a 31-year-old starting pitcher uh, 
seven years, $35 million. I'll say this. Pitchers don't really have the types of aging, at least elite pitchers, don't really have the type of aging curve that elite hitters sometimes have. Well, I think with pitchers, it's more case by case. I mean, you look at you know, guys like Verlander and Scherzer, you know, their aging curve is completely different than a guy like Clayton Kershaw. It, it really is case by case. You have to take it by. Because I, I, as opposed to hitters who have a very, you know, traditionally have a very standard decline that you can point to. Right. It, it just depends how the, how the pitcher ages and how they deal with injury in their later years. Right. I mean, if the stuff doesn't diminish, there's no reason the pitcher is going to. And the stuff yeah. doesn't always diminish is the no. thing. I mean, it's it's sort of like with hitters, hitters have this skill set that's based entirely on hand-eye coordination and, uh, you know, bat-to-ball skills. And those are the types of things that age. Uh, you know, they, they age better in some than in others, but... Uh, you know, your reaction time diminishes as you age. Uh, but with pitching, uh, your strength goes well after your reaction time. Uh, and there's, there's no reason why, unless you get hurt, uh, you know, your stuff doesn't have to diminish. And for some guys, it doesn't. Uh, yeah. But at the other hand, you know, you, you risk injury far more so with a pitcher than you do with a hitter, which makes a, you know, a $35 million a year commitment pretty terrifying. But this has always been the Nationals' MO, is spending on rotation and not on offense. This That's how right. they've always operated. I mean, their biggest contracts are Scherzer, Corbin, and Strasburg right now. And then... Strasburg going, twice. Twice, yeah. Yeah, Scherzer, uh, Strasburg, or Strasburg one, Scher, or Strasburg two, excuse me, Scherzer, Strasburg one, and then Patrick Corbin. Yeah, it's how they've been able to build a franchise in the past, well, later half of the decade, which is 2015 since they signed Scherzer. And before that, they kind of were just doing homegrown talent mixed with trading for Gio Gonzalez. That's how they built a team. It was a lot of, you know, Small deals. Well, I guess, you know, they used no, in the was, first half was, of the decade. It was really, you know, between Denard, uh, like um, Adam LaRoche. Um, well, the face of the franchise was was the, uh, you know, the offensive players, Bryce Harper yeah. and Ryan Zimmerman. But the core of those teams was starting pitching. In 2012, yeah. the Nets had the hardest throwing rotation in baseball and also the best rotation ERA in baseball. Yeah. Uh, and they had and they Steven signed- Strasburg. Yeah, Steven Strasburg, and when they traded for Geo, Jordan Zimmerman, Edwin Jackson, right, and Foster Snyder. This team's always been based on pitching, and now, as they've aged, they've tied their fortunes to aging starting pitching. Uh, yes. And, you know, that might not be a bad bet. If, if no. you're going to spend big, spending on aging starting pitching, I mean, you got to remember that the young starting pitching is just as much of an injury risk as aging starting pitching. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe a little less on an aggregate basis, but maybe more on an individual basis because the best predictor of health is previous health, and mm-hmm. you don't know if a, you know, a young pitcher will stay healthy because they're young and they they don't have 
the track record of staying healthy. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a bet that they've made that they've staked the entire franchise on, and so far it's worked pretty great. Yeah, uh, I mean they they won the World Series, and they won it on the basis of their starting pitching. Literally, they did four starting pitchers and two relievers. Yeah, that's how it worked. Wait, wait, right. wait, 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 wait! You mentioned something there. That's when the World Series. Oh, that's true. We did mention it at the top of the show. Uh, in case you're listening. In case you've made it 12 minutes so far into this podcast and you're wondering if the Nationals won the 2019 World Series, they did. Oh, my God. I know. It's pretty I, cool. I, I, wasn't, that's, 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 I wasn't sure. Again, uh, as I looked down at my Washington – I feel like every time I record this, I'm always wearing my Washington Nationals World Series championship sweatshirt. I wear it two out of every three days, so the odds yeah. are that I'm probably wearing it. I'm not yes. wearing it now, though. Ah, uh, well, I am. Very sad. As I also uh, wear a Nats hat. So. Yep. Uh, so, you know, that's one of the, the crappy things about seeing Rendon go, speaking of the World Series. I mean, the guy was huge to the 2019 World <laughs> Series team. And it sucks that, you know, he's not going to be at Nats Park again until 2023. That's uh, no fun. Uh, that doesn't give you really a chance to, you know... The 2020 team is going to be different than the 2019 team. And they're keeping a lot of, I mean, they've kept Gomes, they've kept Kendrick, they've kept uh, Strasburg now. I mean, they've kept a lot of the the team so far. I mean, there's still talks of keeping a Struble. So we don't know. And there's still talks about keeping Daniel Hudson, too. So maybe just outside of Rendon, this team might look fairly similar to Rendon and Parra. Outside of the team's best player, the team is going to look very similar. But, I mean, the Nats, at this point, you know, without Rendon, uh, and here's the truth, Johnny Key's saying that there are more replacements possible with with Rendon than there are with Strasburg. I tend to disagree. I see it differently. Uh, Yes, Johnny's right that it's probably more important and more difficult to replace an ace starting pitcher. Uh, Especially since position players are way more fungible than starting pitching. Like if you lose a star third baseman and then bring in a star center fielder in 2021 uh, or right fielder or whatever, he'll remain nameless. Not that the Nats are you know, rumored or anything, but I'm just saying there is a star out there. That's true. Uh, or second baseman, he can play there. Yeah, if he could play at second, it, they might, I mean, they wouldn't trade for him now. They don't have the pieces, but they'd certainly try. Uh, anyway, they're more fungible, and, and it's true that ace starting pitching is very difficult to find. Uh, I mean, this, this offseason was unique in the fact that there were two top 10 starting pitchers who became available at the same time, but that normally doesn't happen. Uh, and, and starting pitching is sort of dying uh, in terms of being able to find a starting pitching. Uh, all that aside, uh, and, and that's sort of the thing that the Nats make their, their bet on as a franchise uh, that elite starting pitching is worth more than the market says it does. Uh, 
Anyway, that being said, in terms of replacements for this year, I think it's harder to find. There, there was one elite bat on the market this year, and that was Anthony Rendon. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of the 2020 team, I don't know how you make a team that's as good as last year's. Uh, and, and the truth is, in order to compete in the NL East, which is pretty uniformly getting better, with the exception of the Mets, who I have no idea what they're doing, uh, but no one ever does. I still think the Mets. the Mets. I think the Mets. This is what I've been saying for months. I think I said on the podcast, Correa for Syndergaard is going to happen. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I have no no idea what the Mets are ever doing. The point is uh, that. Uh, you know, if you want to compete, the team needs to be as good as it was last year. And I just don't see whether they get there. Well, okay. So this team was a, is a 94-win talent last year. Maybe more than that. They were a 93-win team, but they had 97, 98, 99-win talent, I'd say. They were just, you know, with the terrible bullpen that they had, it cost them at least five games. At least, you know, especially early in the season. So this team did have, I'm not going to say, you know, it did have a little bit of wiggle room. Now, a team's getting older. That's no, never good, except for Juan Soto, who could be even better next year, which he probably will. Um, and Victor Robles. And Robles. I think Robles is, is a 5-6-1 player next year. He Mostly was, according, def- to B-win, according to B-War, he was a 4-win player last year. I don't yeah. know if I believe that, but. I think yeah. he's a 5-6-1 player next year. Um, but, you know, you have age will be good for those two. But for your rotation, not so much. I mean, I don't know what you – I mean, you, you worry about Scherzer uh, just because heavy workload this year, injuries this year, and it just seems kind of, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from him. Um, I, I think he'll be good when he's back, but I don't know. Um, so you worry about that. But there is a little bit of wiggle room this team did have. With a league average bullpen. Now, Wiggle room, they lost the division by four games. Exactly, but they were better than their record show, I believe. Right, which made them probably equal in talent to the Braves. Yeah, So, but if you get a league average bull, well, the Braves are going to get, you know, if the Nats do end up with Donaldson, that's a player the Braves don't have anymore. If the Nats end up with Donaldson, I would say they're probably equal on talent to the Braves. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, with that $10 million that they're saving from Rendon, you could sign Hudson for a full year and then probably sign another reliever, too, and remain under the luxury tax. Which, what other reliever would you be able to sign if you have that little space? I mean, we're talking about Joe Smith. maybe you've got, you've got maybe $15 million under the luxury tax if you're treating the tax as a cap. You sign Rendon, or you sign uh, Donaldson. You got maybe fifteen million under the cap, uh, and you've still got to get a first baseman, and you've still got to get two or three relievers. Uh, I, mean, I don't and you've think still got to get, uh, well, probably not a second baseman if you're going the route of Donaldson, or, or yeah. a really big first baseman. But I mean, yeah, you probably have to bring back if you go to Donaldson. You probably need to bring back Zimmerman, Cabrera, and uh, 
and two or three relievers to make this yeah. team. And I, I don't, don't know think how you could do that with with the money you have left under the tax. I mean, you get rid of Taylor. I don't know. The point I'm trying to make is that if if your primary concern is 2020, uh, there's no reason to go after Donaldson for 25 million instead of Rendon for 35. And to make things clear, the Nats did not make an offer after the the seven year 215 offer that they made in September to Rendon. They didn't make another offer. That was it. Uh, that was as high as they were willing to go. It was deferred. It wasn't close to the final bid. The Nats were not a serious bidder on Anthony Rendon. Uh, and you know, I, I have my problems with that because, for one thing, this team has been running $200 million payrolls without having won the World Series, without uh, this Masson settlement money, which, by the way, we could be talking $70, $80 million in, in cash. Uh, you know, we're talking about a financial windfall of possibly nine figures this season alone in additional revenue. Uh, and... The, the problem I have maybe isn't so much with the fact that the Nats weren't willing to extend their payroll, although they should have, as the fact that they insisted on making deferrals in their contracts, which, which to me doesn't make sense. This team is, is cash-rich now. It's cash-rich as it'll ever be. Uh, you don't know what baseball's financial situation is going to be like in five to ten years. Uh, you know, We've got this this sort of looming labor battle in 2021 where you've got major fights over uh, a lot of different issues, including, uh, and this is a big issue, and I don't know that the MLBPA is going to fight over it, but trying to, to get revenue uh, from, or from the non-baseball revenue streams that have made the owners so rich, including... Uh, real estate and land holdings around the ballpark, uh, which the learners are heavily invested in. Uh, you don't know what, what cash flow is going to look like five years ago, <laughs> five years from now. You certainly don't know what it's going to look like 15 years from now. So why are you so intent on deferring this money? Uh, why are you making it such a sticking point that keeps you from getting and retaining players that you should retain? Uh, but my, you know, my other problem is obviously that they, they seem to be judging by their actions, if not their words, insistent on staying below the cap, and I, I just can't figure out a reason why. Uh, it's it's maybe, not maybe a cap. There's, there's probably pressure from the league office to not go over the caps. Yeah, I guess. I guess I don't know. There, that's there's probably some degree of pressure, but I don't. I don't I don't know that the learners are really heavily allied with Bamford. As I recall, they opposed. I don't know. That's this is. I I remember them opposing his his nomination for the commissionership. He's um, terrible. But uh, the, I don't think they were wrong on that. But they, they I think they wanted an even more. Uh, 
unfriendly to labor commissioner. I can't remember. I don't know uh, how you get much more unfriendly to labor than with Rob Manfred. Yeah, oh, you can find someone. But, yeah, I mean, he... Uh, he's... I, I can't stand him. I mean, people he talk about... He doesn't seem like, to that, very much... I don't know that it's it's so much that he's anti-labor as he doesn't seem to really like baseball that much. No. I mean, people talk uh, about like how Goodell's a bad commissioner. But he's... I mean, the league's expanded under his watch. It's 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 uh, there's no commissioner like Manfred who continuously complains about the sport and wants to get rid of things that a lot of fans really like about the sport. Listen, that's and, relatable. I complain about baseball all the time. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. He he. Regardless, I mean, moving past that, I just I think maybe you're right. Maybe there was pressure from the league office, but if you're ever going to you know, go balls out and blow through the luxury tax. I mean, you wouldn't even have to blow through it. You could stay under that second tax threshold and still build a competitive team. Uh, for essentially, can. Yeah, I mean, you can, but it won't be as good as it could have been. Uh, uh, I mean, the thing is, I think, would you rather have the Nats sign Donaldson and add two relievers then sign Rendon and not add any relievers. I would rather them sign Rendon and add two relievers. What I'm saying is that's not a that's not a choice. I mean, they could well, staying under the the second luxury tax threshold, the two twenty eight million, uh, was very doable. Signing Rendon, if that was, I mean, if you have to make something a soft cap, two twenty eight was the number, not two oh eight. This team can afford a maximum of $4 million in penalties. It's nothing, given how much revenue they brought in. Now, if you say that the Nats were concerned about having two $35 million contracts on the payroll in 2025, maybe I buy that a little bit more. But in terms of, uh, in terms of going to... 25 on Donaldson, but not being willing to go to 35 on Rendon, who, by the way, in four years will be as old as Donaldson is now. Uh, I just don't buy it. I just think you're really underrating Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson right now is a borderline Hall of Famer. I mean, he's not a borderline Hall of Famer. By the end of his career, by the end of his career, he'll be a borderline Hall of Famer. No, I think. Yeah. He's 34 right now. He's been great. I mean, he's he's been terrific. But the guy didn't have his first good season until age 27. It's pretty hard to make it to the Hall of Fame that way. I don't think he will, but he's been very, very good over the last decade and change, a half decade and change. That's true. But so is Anthony Rendon. And Anthony Rendon is 30 with much less of a recent injury history than Donaldson has. Uh, I know Rendon has his own injury problems. I think they get overstated. Uh, but it, it just... I mean, Donaldson played more games than Rendon this year. Yeah, Donaldson played 155 games. Donaldson was really great this year. I'm not disputing that. And there is a possibility that Donaldson plays just as well as Rendon in 2020. Uh, 
but I wouldn't bet on him over over Rendon over the life of a you know, if you're giving Donaldson a four year contract, at the end of that four year contract he's gonna be thirty seven. That's pretty old for a position player. Uh that's very old for a position player. I can't think of an effective position player starting every day who's 37 in baseball right now. There isn't one. Uh, so, I mean, it's, there's a lot more back-end risk to me with a Donaldson contract. But there is less, obviously less risk in 2024 and 2025. And I think if you're talking about that being your concern, if you're the learners, I think it's dumb concern because who knows what life is going to look like in 2024, 2025. Of course, you know, I am sort of talking out of both sides of my mouth. I said, don't worry about deferrals because you have the money now. Uh, But then also saying, you know, whatever. Uh, But the point is, that I would rather have Rendon at 35 than Donaldson at 25, uh, 35 and 7 over 25 and 4. Uh, and I, I think shooting for that first luxury tax threshold is dumb. I will say this. Four-year contract, and I know I'm going to sound like a jackass doing this. Um, four-year contract with Donaldson clears money for when you're going to have two major free agents coming up soon in four years from now. So hey, you've got them both for a fifth year, man. Yeah. So they'll, they won't be free agents until 2020, the 2024-25 offseason. Yeah. Yes. But if you're still paying Rendon 35 mil, you're still paying Strasburg 35 mil, and and you do sound like a jackass saying this because I know. the truth is that this is the same thing we were told about last year with Harper. With Harper, we're not. But also, Harper, we so didn't we think Rendon. we didn't think Strasburg would opt out at that point, and that changed a lot. It did change a lot. It shouldn't have changed that much. We're talking it did. 10, ten million extra a year. Well, it changes things, unless. What you're saying is, and this is maybe a more plausible argument, that when we didn't think that Strasburg was opting out, we thought he would be here until 2023, and now he's here through 2026. Yeah, that's, that's also true. That's that puts more, more money on future argument. puts more money on future payroll. Yeah, but so, you know, I will say that I, I don't think that it's really all that great to be worrying about future payroll right now. You'll figure it out when you get there, just like you figured it out with Scherzer uh, now that we're here. I mean, the difference is that Scherzer has been the player you paid for every single year of his contract. Yep. Which is pretty amazing. He's been more than that. He's better than yes. He's a beautiful man, Max Scherzer. Yes. So let's, let's move on from the Nats real quick. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't even talk about the Angels, who are the, the recipients of Anthony Rendon and his good deeds. Um, I mean, he's now playing with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on Gerald Simmons. I mean, you would think a team with Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon and Shohei Otani, all those guys, 
will be a playoff team, but I don't even think they're close with that core. Nope. I would say they're about 15 to 20 games behind the Astros right now, which, yep. by the way, is better than the 37 games that they finished behind them this year. Good for them. But uh, they're still not even close. I mean, good for them for trying. They just, I mean, if they add, let's say they add Keiko. Let's say they add, you know, they 35 they wanna, games, not 37. Excuse me. Yeah. Just have to make sure. Sorry. Let's say they add Keiko. They want to get Kluber, which would be a huge get for them. They just have to completely add like three starting pitchers, which is why the Cole signing didn't make too much sense for them. Because Cole was also that kind of guy where you add him and he's not going to, you're still not a playoff team with Cole. Um, well, you're, whereas with, I mean, they've with, added Rendon and they're still not a playoff team with but Rendon. But Rendon fills a whole, like, you, you need more in your rotation than you do with your lineup. Adding one person in your lineup makes your lineup a lot better than adding one person in your rotation. If that makes sense. Maybe. Well, it improves your chances of winning each individual game as opposed to one in every five. But that's but also, nothing that improves your chances of winning one in every five games more than a starting pitcher. Yes, but also you are improving a, or what considered is your strength, is the core of your lineup. Then you need to... You can add one core to your strength a lot easier by adding Rendon than adding one ace and still having your rotation still be a very much a weakness because it still would be a weakness even with Cole. That's true. But on the other hand, like we've been saying and like the Nats have sort of predicated their entire organizational philosophy on, uh, it's possible that elite starting pitching is more valuable than we give it credit for and it's certainly more rare and harder to find than elite offensive talent. Yeah, but their uh, team is built around offense. And their team also, you know, they're Has probably the not going to bid for Mookie Betts because they've got uh, Upton, uh, I've obviously got Mike Trout, and then next year, or possibly this year, we'll be Joe seeing Adele. Joe Adele. Yeah, uh, so, feels full. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is that's the scary thing about this team. You look at the the Angels offensively. We're talking about a lineup that's you know pretty well stacked. Uh, I mean, they're still playing pools. So they're still playing pools. They really probably shouldn't. Uh, they have you know, who would really... be a good fit for them at first would be C.J. Crone if they brought him back. Well, he's in Japan now. Uh, not Crone. Sorry, I think it's Justin Moore. No. CJ Crone is not in Japan. No, it's uh, Justin Moore. Although he was cut again. Yes. Uh, but, I mean, you look at their, their lineup. They've got, what, uh, David Fletcher and Tommy LaStella at second. I mean, LaStella can repeat what he did last year before getting hurt. That's another big bat. Right. But uh, beyond that, you know, they've got a hole at catcher. They've got... Max Stassi. Yeah, I mean, they've got weird things that they're doing at first because they insist on keeping, uh, they insist on keeping Pujols playing, but they've got a DH of Shohei Otani, a third baseman Anthony Rendon, uh, I mean, a center fielder Mike Trout, a left fielder and Justin Upton. These are all players who've gotten MVP votes in the past. Uh, except, yeah, no, they've all gotten MVP votes in the past. These are all 
phenomenal players. They've got a great lineup. Then you yeah. look at their rotation. They have Shohei's coming back. But Shohei's coming back. Who knows how much he'll pitch? Yeah. Uh, Griffin Canning is a pretty decent prospect and a decent arm. Andrew Heaney put up some half-decent numbers last year, uh, although he's been injured for a lot of his career. And you've got Dylan Bundy, who they added. And then, I mean, it's just... It's not competitive with the Houston Astros. Uh, and it's It's, it's not sad. competitive with the Rays. It's not competitive... I mean, they're, they should be... I mean, they're probably playing for a wild card spot. And, yeah. I mean, it's not competitive with the Rays' rotation. It's not competitive with... I mean, I'd say the A's definitely have better rotation with Naya. Right. I mean, I don't even know... Last year. I don't know if they're... Even the sixth or seventh best team in the AL right now. I mean, maybe it's hard to say with the cent- It's hard to say with the Central. I mean, you probably put the Twins ahead of them. Right. So you look probably at the Twins. The Indians, you say the Yankees. I wouldn't. I I I still think that the that there's a reasonable chance that the Red Sox are better than they are. Yeah. Uh, I I would say that in the West you probably look at the Astros. Obviously, you probably look at the Angel or the Athletics. Excuse me. Uh, so I would say that yeah. It, I mean, it, it's not a guarantee that they're a first division club next year, even with this offense. No, it's pretty uh, pretty remarkable. It is, uh, and. That's not you, to begrudge them for trying. No, uh, no, good for them. Good for them signing someone. But I, it's just that organization. Just, I don't know. Don't know what it is with the Angels, but they have not been able to build a team, good team, since they've had Mike Trout. Well, it's been pitching, which is yeah. another reason that you might prioritize Cole over Rendon. They seem to be able to to find offense. They haven't yep. found any pitching, and it's well, they found offense by signing people. Oh, like by signing people, by trading for them, by I mean, I mean, not really developing them. anyone besides uh, but Trout. But I mean, Upton they signed, Otani they signed, Simmons was a trade, um, but he's not like a huge offensive bat. I mean, he was he's better offensively in the past couple of years. Um, I they know. found useful offensive pieces last year in Lestella and Fletcher and, and Bryant Goodwin. What I'm oh, yeah, saying Bryant is, Goodwin's in their outfield right now. Jeez. They they seem to be decent enough at finding offense. The problem that they seem to have is finding starting pitching, which is why I were I them and if I was going to spend big, and they still might sign a big name starting pitcher. I think they have. Uh, to. They're probably going to trade for one instead. Price. Probably. I don't know I why. If you're the Indians, you're so motivated to move Corey Kluber coming That's off of a down year. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're selling low on a guy who was a year ago considered top five pitcher in baseball. If he wasn't hit with a line driver on his elbow. I mean, he was bad before then, but I mean, it was, it was a month. April. People exactly. have bad months. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, I, but yeah, I, I, they have to, probably, I think the Angels get price. I think then they sign someone too. Yeah. I mean, they have to, they have to make moves. And they, they have to try. You can't have Mike Trout and not try. Yeah. Every time you've got a 10-win head start with one of the best players in baseball history, you can't just 
chuck a season, but uh, especially since you've chucked so many. And Mike Trout has played eight years and has zero playoff wins. Uh, but I, I just, you know, I, I think they're going to win 80, 83 to 85 games next year, and it's going to be one of those things. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the other well, big news that we got in the, the winter meetings was Garrett Cole's signing. Uh, uh, nine years, $324 million. A lot of money. Yep. And you're not fanned for it. Nope. But good for the Yankees. I mean, it's the move the Yankees needed to make, I mean, to take them to the best team in baseball conversation, because they are. Yeah. I mean, they have the, arguably one of the best rotations with, you know, Tanaka is going to be their fourth starter next year, which is a pretty good thing to have. Cole, Paxton, Severino, Tanaka. Um, you know, one of the best bullpens in baseball. And one of the best lineups in baseball. I mean, that team really does not have many holes, really anywhere. No, um, and they've got this incredible depth that they managed to find yeah. last year. I mean, so many things went wrong for them last year, and they still won over 100 games. Yeah. I uh, mean... Everyone's talking about them being the evil empire again because they signed one free agent. I don't buy it. I mean, they did very smart organizational building. I mean, by trading and finding hidden gems, and and then they were because they did all of that stuff. They were able to sign a free agent, and this is like their only free agent they've signed in years. It's um, the first real major free agent they've signed in this year. But I mean, in years, but. And they, they will still have a payroll next year somewhere in the $240 million range. So it's not yeah. as though, uh, you know, it's, it's not, not as though they're a no small market team. team. No, but, I mean, this is a very different Yankees team in terms of how they built their wins. I mean, they traded for Stan, but, I mean, all intents and purposes, you know, you had to have a big payroll to do it. So They basically they, bought Stanton's contract. Yeah. But they traded for Stanton. Um, I mean, their core judge Sanchez, you know, was drafted and developed, or signed international free agent. Um, and then Urshela was minor league free agent. Um, Lemayhew they got on the cheap, and he had a fantastic year last year. Um, I mean, this is, and then their rotation. I mean, Tanaka was signed. That was their last major free agent, I'd say. Uh, Paxton was traded for. You know, they're a team that's, you know, done a great job with drafting, done a great job with player development, and to be able to be at the place they are now, you know, isn't just them buying all their assets, it's doing a lot of the little things right, and that's what I... Who, care, who cares if they do that, though? I mean, yeah, like I I've care. always said, it is very easy to build a good baseball team. It makes it very hard when you're building a baseball team on a budget, but it's very easy to build a good baseball team. Just sign the good players. Like, you... You don't need a PhD in economics to know which baseball players are good and which baseball players will improve your team by signing them. Uh, like, the Yankees of all teams should not be a hard baseball team to run. Now, Brian Cashman's done an incredible job finding talent in, you know, irregular channels in the past couple of years. But the Yankees should be the team that you know, runs payrolls in the $250 million range and, and signs Garrett Cole. Uh, I, I mean, and, and the truth is that the playoffs are a crapshoot anyway. 
maybe somewhat less so if you have elite starting pitching. But they're a crapshoot anyway. I mean, the, the dynasty that the Yankees ran in, you know, 96 through 2000 is not the kind of thing that would happen, you know, a thousand times in a thousand simulations, even given their talent. I mean, you look at the 2000 team. The 2000 team won 88 games. It was not really, you know, as good of a team as the 98 team that won 114. Uh, the, the Yankees, you know, can buy all these players and won't guarantee them a championship. But to go out there, to use the resources that you have to put the best team you can on the table, that's what every team should be doing. Uh, and it's nice to see that the Yankees are thinking about maybe doing it again, even if it's not, it's not like the 09, the 08 09 offseason when everyone was talking about, oh, will the Yankees get to Shara or Sabathia? Oh, wait, they'll just do both. Yeah, and Burnett. And Burnett. Yeah. That was a fun offseason. I mean, you talk about the Nat. How much did they spend that offseason? What was it, $300 million? What? How much did they spend on those three players? How much did who spend on what three players? The Yankees. On Burnett. The Yankees spend, spent, okay, let's see. They spent... 161 million on Sabathia. They spent 82 and a half million on Burnett, and they spent 180 million on Teixeira. So about what? What? 400 million about for those three? Yeah, that's about right. I mean, the Nats would have had to spend 450 for Strasburg and Rendon. Okay, but they could have. They could not, sure. They could have. That's a lot of money. Yeah, but I mean, it's also ten years on. The I mean, baseball revenues have doubled in those ten years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know that the Nats are not the Yankees. The Nats don't have. I mean, and this is the honest to God truth. The Nats are not sure they've got the billionaire owners, etc. And like, you can want a megalomaniacal billionaire, the kind of billionaire who's insane enough to buy a baseball team. You can want them to spend like they're insane enough to buy a baseball team. Uh, but the Yankees, or the Nats are not the Yankees in terms of operating income, in terms of revenue. I mean, the Yankees are one of the most profitable teams in sports. Uh, the Nats probably can't operate like the Yankees uh, in that sense, where they can just run up you know, payrolls in the, the, I mean, the Yankees could probably sustain a payroll in the 300 to $400 million range and still be plenty profitable. The Nats can't do that, and that's the truth. But uh, they certainly could have sustained a payroll in the $218 million range this year. Uh, and that's all I'm saying. The figure is also, but it's not like they have a lot of money coming off the books next year or the year after. There's a lot of money tied up in a few players for a while. Yeah, but I just I don't feel like not signing Rendon makes them all that much more flexible in the future. I mean, if your goal is 
you know, if, you, if you're complaining about, legitimately complaining about sustainability and, you know, not wanting to become the 2012 Phillies, uh, I just don't see how signing Donaldson instead of Rendon makes that fate any less likely. Well, I think that's all we have to talk about today. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so uh, the obviously we're on Donaldson watch. He could sign any day now, any but day. yes, but we hashtag probably, panda watch. So he's not. Yes, panda. he's um, not a panda. He's not the kung fu panda. Although Pablo Sandoval did get married this offseason. Congrats to Pablo Sandoval. Uh, We will probably not be back with another podcast if Donaldson signs. I think we've pretty much covered how we feel about it. Uh, I will be also out of the country. Johnny will be out of the country. I will be in the throes of finals. Uh, So if we need to do another podcast, it may not be Johnny. We may have to figure it out. Yes. Uh, Jacob, you might do a solo app. A solo, yeah. God, can you imagine having to listen to my voice for 50 minutes? Yep. Terrible. Terrible. All right. Well, I think that's it for the week. We'll be back probably around New Year's with a new episode. Uh, But until then, enjoy the holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. We're saying Merry Christmas again. Merry (laughs) Strasmus. All right. Well, thanks so much.